right up there. You got another one that's got a pencil in it? There you go. Let's do the Paradox one first, all right? Now, I want you to look at the screen. Let's do the Paradox, then we'll get this one, all right? A paradox is a statement that seems that it contradicts itself to express a truth. This is one of Jesus' favorite methods of teaching. Now, I showed you this a couple weeks ago. I want you to look at it again. How many of you think that pencil's bent? Doesn't it look like it's bent? It's called the law of refraction because of the way this, the light goes through that water. It makes it look like that straight pencil is bent. It's not. It's a paradox. All right. Let me give you a good joke. You don't like jokes at this church, do you? <laughs> Amish guy went to, went to town, and he had his son who was about 18 years old, and they drove their buggy up, you know, and parked it in front of the big hotel in town. And as they watched, they noticed there was a, a couple of doors that would open. People would get off, people would get on, and then it'd go one, two, three, four, five, and it'd go five, four, three, two, one. And when the doors would open, somebody would get off. And this guy and his Son stood there looking at that thing. And they watched a little old lady with a cane get on the elevator. And the elevator disappeared up to the top. Number five came back down. And when the woman got off, it was a shapely, beautiful blonde, about 25. And the old man looked at his son. He said, son, go get your mother. <laughs> Oh. Some things in life are a paradox. Would you agree with that? And Jesus seemed to just have a blast with these. We've been studying this for five weeks. This is the fifth Sunday. And we've learned that if you want to find yourself, you got to lose yourself. We've found if you want to truly be free, you got to become a slave. Then we learned that if you want to be strong, you got to become weak. And if you want to be first, you got to be last. Now, today, we're going to learn a brand new one. And this is the last one in our series. If you want to truly be great, especially if you want to be a leader, you got to learn to be a servant. Because serving is leading. Serving is leading. Now, I got my Bible ready to go. I'm going to read a while, let you sit down. And then I'm going to let you stand towards the end. How's that? Because I'm going to read you a long passage. And some of you kind of go, oh, great. And I don't want you to hate the reading of God's word. So I'm going to read it for a while. And you're in Mark chapter 10. And I'm looking at about verse 32, okay? And they were in the way, going up to Jerusalem. Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. As they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things would happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man 
shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him unto the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and they will scourge him, and they will spit upon him, and they will kill him, and the third day he will rise again. By the way, your old King James Bible you're looking at, that's, that's a particular speech, a, a grammatical thing that they used in those days called a polycedon. And, 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 and. Today we use commas. But in the day they wrote the Bible, they used the word and because that brings emphasis. You should be able to see that. That's what they're trying to do. They're, Jesus is telling his disciples all the stuff they're going to do to him. Okay? Now, let's keep going. And Jesus, or excuse me, in verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatever we desire. Let me use the Phil Martin Amplifier. Daddy, can I ask you to do something for me and you won't say no? <laughs> Did you ever hear that one at your house? Did you have girls? That's what they ask. That's how they, I want to ask you, Daddy, but you can't say no. <laughs> and he said unto him, grant unto us that we may sit one on the other side, one on the other right hand, and the latter on the left hand, and thy glory. Jesus said unto them, you know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, we can Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism which I have been baptized with shall you be baptized. But to sit on the right hand or on the left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them to whom it's prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased. That's a great understatement right there. Ticked off. Mad, upset, that's the idea. And the Bible says they were upset with James and John. And Jesus called them and said unto them, you know that which, I'm having a hard time seeing. I've got to get my Bible in the sunlight here. Uh, that which is accounted the rule of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them and the great ones, ex uh, great ones exercise authority upon them. Now let's stand. You ready? I'm going to make you stand for two verses. Now if you gripe now, I'm going to get after you. May the fleas of a thousand camels get in your armpits. Now I got 43. I want you to read 43, 44, and 45. Is that hard? All right, let's read it together. But so shall it not be among you. But whoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. All right, this is your last time to sit down now for about 45 minutes. Just thought I'd warn you. Some of you are saying, I hope you don't preach that long. Now, I'm going to talk to you today. I want to spend a little time talking about this paradoxical teaching of Christ. And, and I want you to see three things. I want you to see the typical way we do stuff. 
And then I want you to see a better way that Jesus suggests. And the last point I'm going to talk about is how do we change our ways? How do we change our ways? Okay, let's talk about the typical way. Jesus is walking to Jerusalem. Jesus has his disciples. And Jesus has been reminding his disciples now for several chapters about what's going to go on. Um, he's, he's telling them that he's going to die. As they walk along, James and John come to Jesus and they say, Lord, we want to ask you a favor and we don't want you to say no. And Jesus basically says, okay, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't it amazing? He already knows they want him to do something. What do you want me to do for you? They say, well, let us one sit on the right side and one sit on the left side in your glory. They believe pretty soon that God's kingdom was going to come on earth. And they basically say, Jesus, we know that you're going to be in the middle throne. You're going to be number one. But we'd like to be two and three. We want to sit on the right side and the left side right up there close to you. Just a side note, I think it's amazing. Some people say the Gospels were made up. Some people say the Gospels were embellished, that some of this stuff really didn't happen, that the church kind of invented these stories to advance its agenda. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. If you think that, that, that way, why in the world would the church invent a story where two of the apostles look like total knuckleheads? There's some stories I'd leave out. This would be one of them. So I don't believe that. I believe the Bible's just exactly what, the, what happened, just the way God gave it, okay? And so these guys are asking Jesus, they say, Lord, we'd like to, we'd like to sit on your right hand and your left hand. You know, the amazing thing is, is that when Jesus begins to answer he really deals with some relevant things. You say, Pastor, do you think this, this passage talks about us? <laughs> I think we're going to look in the mirror, to be quite honest with you. I think we're going to see ourselves in James and John before this sermon is over, or I've totally messed it up big time. So we're going to look at that this morning, because when it, when it seems to look at these guys, they got a real problem with self-focus. And they're not focused on others, they're focused only on themselves. And by the way, they resort to what we normally resort to in our life, and it's called competition and domination. Competition and domination. Now, let's look at those two thoughts, and let's talk about the competition. Look at Mark chapter 9. Go back to Mark chapter 9, and look at verse number 34. Now, I want you to stay with me just for a second. I'm going to work my way through here. Verse number 34, in the previous chapter, Mark chapter 9, it says the disciples were arguing about who is the greatest. And if you look at this passage, the Bible says in verse 34, and they held their peace for by the way as they disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. By the way, you may want to write in your Bible right next to this, write Luke chapter 22 and verse 24. Luke 22, 24 says, and there was a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the, the greatest. Now, can you imagine this scene? Seriously. Can you imagine what's going on? Peter, James, and John 
are arguing with the other disciples about which disciple is the best. I wouldn't be surprised if Peter says, well, obviously, fellas, the, the spokesman, the spokesman, the leader of the disciples is none other than me. And most of us would say, yeah, I can see that. Uh, maybe Andrew says, now wait a minute, my brother, Peter. He says, I, I introduced you to Jesus. And if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be the spokesman for nothing. And then James and John said, well, hold it right there. We were one of the first ones to follow him. And we followed Jesus longer than all the rest of you. Well, probably by this time, Judas speaks up. And he says, hey, who's the treasurer? Who's the one that Jesus trusts with the money? Maybe Peter speaks up a second time. I wouldn't be surprised. And he says, who walked on the water? Rest of you wouldn't get out of the boat. Who's the only guy that got out and walked on the water? It was me. They're arguing about who the greatest is. You ever compare yourself to somebody else? The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that if you compare yourself to someone else, it's not wise. Comparison will get you. You know, you go out and you buy yourself a brand new refrigerator. We used to go to Sears, but Sears is gone. <laughs> I got me a Sears Kenmore Elite. And I thought sitting Sears Kenmore Elite, what a nice refrigerator until I went over to somebody else's house in the church and they had a, a Viking. <laughs> I went home and looked at my piece of junk, <laughs> Sears Elite. Said, man, you may be cool, but you ain't no Viking. You ever compare yourself to somebody else's car? I drive a Toyota Highlander XL. Well, that's because you can't afford a Lexus. Isn't it amazing how we compare? You see, that's kind of the way of the world. Somebody's, we compare ourselves to somebody's house, somebody's furniture, somebody's kitchen, and it's amazing. I, I've been reading in, in the paper and reading on the internet and, and keeping up with this people that were paying big bribes to get their kids into these big fancy schools and they paid half a million dollars to get their kids into USC and I'm thinking to myself, good night. I thought college was expensive, but a half a million to get in the door? Somebody says, well, I went to UCT Chattanooga. Somebody said, I went to UCT Martin. And then there's always one to say, well, I went to Knoxville. <laughs> Rest of you went to those wannabe colleges. I went to the real one. Isn't it amazing how we compare ourselves? Come on, smile at me. We compare and compare and compare. Preachers do it. Well, I got more going to my church than this guy down the road. And we compare all kinds of stuff. We measure our success by comparing ourselves to other people's success. Normally, that's usually picking on that other person's weakness that makes us feel superior. 
C.S. Lewis said to the said it well, very well. He said, "Pride is essential, essentially competitive. P- pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more than the next man." We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. Why is it that way? I think it's called human nature. And the scripture says in verse 41 that the disciples got indignant. They were bent out of shape. So there's a a competition. But let me say this, there's sometimes pride shows itself in being domineering or being domination or having domination. Look at verse 42. Jesus called unto him and said unto them, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and their great ones exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be among you. Notice that, rulers of the Gentiles. Here, let me give you the Phil Martin kind of amplifier. The secular approach, secular leadership, the way the world works. You get to tell people what to do. They have to obey. You clearly are above and they're beneath. And the disciples disciples of Jesus uh, said, hey, what's the pecking order? And Jesus basically says, that's not the way my kingdom works. What about today? Do you ever see people seeking greatness through domination? Have you ever heard of Washington, D.C.? That place where we pay out all those big salaries and they do absolutely nothing? We find it in politicians. We find it in principals. We find it in bosses. We find it in police officers. We find it in parents. We find it in pastors. I feel good about myself because I have power over you. That's the way we think. And Jesus says, my leadership doesn't work through domination. That's not the way my kingdom is. So why would he bring that up? Because James and John made a request. In in actuality, what they were saying is, we'd like to be dominant. Bible scholar David Garland said it like this. They hoped to replace the self-serving, oppressive power structure of the Romans with their own self-serving, oppressive power structure. Nothing changes except the rulers that are ruling. And Jesus says, fellas, that's not the way we're going to do it. You know, the amazing thing is, is that James and John are quite a bit like us. When you think about leadership, when you think about being successful, when you Think about what you want in life. The natural way is to approach it with competition and domination. And frankly, to be honest with you, it's the biggest reason why most people are never happy. 
Alan Redpath put it this way. He said, the secret of every discord in Christian homes and communities and churches is that we seek our own way and our own glory. That's the truth. Verse 43, I like what Jesus says. Not so with you. That's not the way we're going to do it. Competition and domination doesn't work in my kingdom. It works everywhere else, but it doesn't work with me. Well, let's talk about a better way. What's Jesus' better way? Look at verse number 38. The Bible says in Mark chapter number 10 and verse number 38, it says, Jesus said to them, you know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup and drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Now, why would Jesus say that? Well, he's going to talk about three things. The first thing he's going to talk about is sacrifice. And what he tells these guys, if you notice it, he's basically saying, hey, you guys don't know what's ahead of me. I've told you three times now, and you haven't caught it yet. I'm going to die. I'm going to be a substitute sacrifice for you. And what I'm asking you to do is to do the same thing that I'm fixing to do. Let's go back and let's notice that. Look at Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. And I, wanna, I just want to show you this because I think we, we pass over these verses. Look at what Jesus says in verse number 30. He says, he charged them that no one should tell who he was. He just told them that thou art the Christ. You remember that? Verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests. That's the Sanhedrin. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to reject me. You think I'm the son of God. You think that I am the Christ. They won't buy it. Look at the next chapter. Let's go to chapter 9. Look at what it says in chapter 9. And look at verse number 30. The scripture says, and they departed thence. They passed through Galilee. And he would not have any man should, that they should know it. And he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered, notice that, into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he's killed, he'll rise the third day. But they understood not that saying and was afraid to ask him. Now look at verse 32, chapter 10, because that's where we've been hanging out. Look over to 32. The Bible says, and they were on their way going up to Jerusalem. They've left Galilee. They're going to Jerusalem. And the Bible says, Jesus went before them, and he says, hey, fellas, let me, let me be very specific here. They're going to do this, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do this. And he, he lays the whole thing out. He says, what you don't understand is, I'm going to Jerusalem. Look at verse number 45. And he says, I'm going in verse number 45. Look at what it says. He says, the Son of Man didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life, notice that, a ransom for many. Now stay with me. We don't use words like that. When I think of the word ransom, you know, the, one of the big talks I can remember I had with my dad when I was a kid was he talked about people 
that would steal you, that would kidnap you. Did your parents ever have that talk about candy? And they, they used to hold up candy and they say, now there's somebody that might come along and if you come home from school, they might want to get you in their car or their van. And son, whatever you do, don't get in their car for a piece of candy. By the way, do any of you remember that? It was a big deal when I was a kid. Dad used to say, hey son, you don't need to worry. He said, all they got to do is feed you a couple of times. They'll bring you back. <laughs> without a smile on his face. <laughs> but, you know, kidnapping, the only time I ever use the word ransom when I think about kidnapping, somebody steals your child and they demand a ransom. Yes or no? Jesus says, I'm coming back to die on this cross. I'm giving my life as a substitute, as a sacrifice so that I can pay the ransom that's demanded in order for you to go to heaven. A ransom. Jesus says to his men here, he says, fellas, what you need to understand, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And by the way, the ultimate service that I can make is that I'm going to give my life, I'm going to give my being so that the ransom will be paid for you. Jesus talks to him about sacrifice. But notice he talks to him about suffering. Look at the way this verse reads. Notice in verse 38, Jesus said, you know not what you ask, can you drink of the cup? By the way, you fast forward a couple of chapters. Jesus is going to go in a garden the night before he dies. He gets down on his knees and he's praying. Nobody else would pray with him. Remember the story? The disciples are sleeping. And he gets down and the Bible says he begins to pray and he's so adamant in his prayer that he begins to sweat. Notice this, as it were great drops of blood. Now that's agony. Would you agree with that? And Jesus is sweating blood droplets from his brow. And he cries out to God the Father and he says, remember the story? Let this cup pass from me. What's the cup? The next day. What's the cup? Being a ransom. What's the cup? Being a substitute for the sinners. What's the cup? The sin of the world would be placed upon Christ and Jesus by shedding his blood. Scripture says it like this. We're not born again. We're not, we're not uh, uh, saved by, by, by things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life a ransom. Isn't that amazing? He said, now, fellas, are you willing to drink that cup? You want to sit on the, on the throne, on the right side and the left side. Barty, are you willing to take the same cup that I'm going to drink? And notice what he goes on to say. He uses another, uh, another word here. He says, not only the cup that I drink of, but be baptized. By the way, it's better interpreted this way. Be immersed. That's the real word. Be immersed with the baptism, the immersion that I am immersed with. He said, fellas, what you need to understand is there's a price. 
Oh, we're not just coming to be served. We're coming to serve and to give ourselves as a sacrifice. We're going to suffer. Can you take the cup? What about the baptism? Isn't that interesting? So Jesus talks about service. Jesus talks about suffering. But notice Jesus goes a little bit further. Look in verse number 43. The Bible says, And it shall not be among you, but whosoever shall be great among you, notice this, shall be a servant, shall minister, the Scripture says. When I was young, just starting out, I was out visiting one day, and a lady asked me, she said, Are you the minister of the church? And I was kind of taken back by that because, to be honest with you, in the Baptist church, we don't use that word very often. This is my minister. That sounds Lutheran or Methodist or Presbyterian, but it doesn't sound Baptist. But you know what? As I begin to read my Bible and understand the Bible, what they're saying, this is our servant. It's not some guy that's highfalutin. It's not some guy that's got his act together. It's not some guy that's the big shot in the church. No, this is the guy that washes the feet. This is the guy that serves the congregation. He's the servant. He's the minister. Jesus says, fellas, let me ask you a question. Are you willing to sacrifice? Are, are you willing to suffer? Hey, fellas, are you willing to serve? What a great thought that is. You know, I was thinking this week about that word servant. We know, we've seen that. We know what that is. If you have children, you learned how to minister. I've been watching my kids this week. They got a little boy that's got a broken leg. He's nine years old. And man, they got to do everything for that boy. He's got one leg that's kind of stuck out like this. And anything that they do is difficult. Getting him into the bed is hard. Getting him up the stairs is hard. Taking him to the bathroom is difficult. Taking a shower is almost impossible. And what they're doing right now is they're serving and they're serving and they're serving. The other night, Stephen and, and, and Lindsay came over and, and that little boy, <laughs> Lyndon, he did well, I don't know how to say it any nicer. Number two. Man, does that kid stink. <laughs> I was sitting there, I said, whoa, son. We got a toxic dump site in the back of you right here. This thing's pretty tense. And I finally looked at Lindsay and I held the kid out and I said, you need to do something with this kid. <laughs> and, then, and then the talk started. Well, I did the last one. It's your turn. And the others, well, I did five or six today, and you've only done one. Back and forth, back and forth. And the kid's still sitting there stinking. <laughs> you know the thing about being a parent? It's amazing how much service you have to do. You start off, you don't want your kid to be an idiot, so you start reading books. And you read books, look at Jack. Jack can run. Jack can run fast. 
And every time they come out, they got the same stupid book. I'm tired of Jack. Let's get something else. <laughs> and then since they're not really smart yet, you, you, you skip a couple of pages. Jack's running now. Look at how fast Jack can run. When it comes to those kids, you don't just read to them, but you got to talk to them. We're talking scintillating conversation. Daddy, I, I think I, I did a no-no in my pants. Your mother will be home in two hours. You'll be all right. <laughs> You're laughing because I think you've had the same conversation. They bring out a little something. They say, Daddy, will you play with me? I'm a guy, you're a girl, no. <laughs> oh, Daddy, we have to have a tea party. Oh, stink. <laughs> All right, I'll go in there and sit on that little chair. <laughs> Bring the tea out. Well, some of you are looking like you've never done that. It's a blast. But when you're a parent, what do you do? You serve. You serve. You don't have kids to be served. Although, now that I'm as old as I am, I'm hoping that'll work out some better. <laughs> but you come so that you can serve. You dress them. You bathe them. You, you feed them. You teach them. You affirm them. The list is endless. And you don't argue, well, I fed you yesterday. I gave you a compliment two weeks ago. It should be good for another two. No, you have to do it and do it and do it and do it and do it. You serve and serve and serve some more. Jesus says, you want to be great? Seriously, do you want to be great? And by the way, he doesn't scold them for wanting to be great. What he scolds them for is the way they were going about it. There's nothing wrong with being great. Unless you dominate. Unless you're competitive. But Jesus says the road to greatness isn't through domination. The road to greatness isn't through competition. The road to greatness is through service and suffering. His road's completely different. Jesus says, here's the typical way. Here's the better way. Well, how do we change our ways? Because I'll be really honest with you. I got the domination down. I know what competitiveness is. How do I change my ways? During the Revolutionary War, George Washington walked up to a group of men that were trying to pull down a tree. They were almost able to get the job done, but they lacked just a little strength, and it appeared that the help of just one man more would be sufficient to get the job done. 
Washington noticed the commanding officer was standing off to the side. He was shouting orders, and finally Washington stopped and said, why don't you help him? The officer responded indignantly. He said, sir, I'm a commander. I give the orders. I don't do the work. Hearing that, Washington got off of his horse. He took off his coat. He rolled up his sleeves, gave the tired men the help they needed to complete the job. When they were finished, Washington looked at the officer and said, sir, if your men need any further assistance, call on me anytime. The officer said, thank you, friend. And where may I call you if I need you? And Washington said, you'll find me in the commanding general's tent. Whoa. So how do we change our ways? How do we change from the guy on the horse giving the orders, the guy that wouldn't help, how do we change that? Well, first of all, I think you got to focus on Jesus' example. Jesus said, hey, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. You know, the only way we're ever going to change is if we get our eyes off of the world and quit watching people that dominate and quit watching people that are competitive and we start watching people like Jesus. You see, folks, what I'm trying to get across to you is this. Jesus is saying, fellas, 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 you're not seeing it, but you got to follow my example. My kingdom's not like your kingdom. You'll never do my work the world's way. So you got to focus on Jesus' example. Let me say this. Number two, you need to focus on Jesus' empowerment. Jesus' empowerment. You know, when we're trusting Christ, there's something spiritual that happens. It's not, it's not Phil doing, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. If I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do, I've got to allow Jesus to live his life through me. It's not me getting up in the morning and say, today, I'm going to be a servant. No, it's getting up in the morning and say, Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I want your power. I want your life. I want your being to flow through me. That's the secret. I focus on Jesus' example. I, I focus on Jesus' empowerment. You say, Pastor, what do you think that looks like? I think it looks something like rethinking the purpose of your position. I got a little tape, fellas. Can you play that? Can you play that? I hope it's going to work, a video. You think the people of this country exist to provide you with position. I think your position exists to provide those people with freedom. You remember Braveheart? Man, that's one of the best speeches he gives in the whole deal. Are you going to be for us or against us? And he looks at in the eye and he says, fellas, you think that we are here in order for your position to move forward. He said, no, no, no. Your position there is to ensure us the freedom. Hey, folks, it's not who's in charge. It's more like who's charged you. 
Whose example are you following? Whose life is being lived out through you? What power are you living your life? Is, is it the best that you can do or is it the best that Jesus can do through you? I think we need to rethink our position. But let me add, I think we need to show genuine interest in others. I love Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3. The Bible says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. You say, Pastor, what's that? Humility. Lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you that was also in Jesus Christ. You know, an illustration, I was trying to figure out what good way to illustrate this point. We all have cell phones. By the way, I think it's a blight on our society. Three times yesterday I was out visiting and I had to wait there while they had to check their phone while the light was green. I don't want to get out of the car and go up and tap on their windows. We're driving here! But I knew I was preaching this sermon, so I couldn't do that. <laughs> so I, think I waited there very impatiently with my hand about that high above the horn. Those cell phones. You ever talk to somebody and they get a phone call and here you are in deep conversation with them and they say, oh, I need to take this. Here I am in the flesh talking to you and some pecker wood on a phone is more important than me? We, lived up in, we live in a screwed up world. You got a real person you can reach out and touch and put your arms around and love them for Jesus and you're more important than a little black box. Amen, Pastor. We're glad we came to church today. Isn't it amazing? Serving people means first and foremost that when you're with them, you're with them. You're 100% there. Third thing I say is this become a giver. Now hang with me. Don't, don't shut me off. Some of you are already, it's time to go to lunch, Pastor. You're done. I'm almost there. Become a giver. Adam Grant's a researcher with the Wharton School of Business, and in his research, he's identified three kinds of workers. Man, this is so true. He said there's takers, there's matchers, and there's givers. Takers, matchers, givers. He said takers view the workplace as a very competitive place, like if I don't look out for myself first, nobody else will. You haven't run into any of those kind of folks at your workplace, have you? Come on, you haven't run into any of those kind of folks at your workplace, have you? 
And then there are matchers. Matchers believe that everything works by exchanging favors. So I might do something for you because then you owe me a favor. And then there's givers. Givers choose to focus on the needs of others without worrying about what they get back. So there's givers, matchers, and takers. Givers choose to focus on the needs of others. Here's the amazing statistic. Now listen to this. This will blow your socks off. That what percentage of people actually function as givers in their jobs? Adam Grant says about 8%. 8%. That's it. That means most people are matchers or takers. Only less than 10%, one out of 10, are givers. Because most people just assume that you're a giver, you're being too nice, you'll never get anywhere in your career. And he says for most people when they're stressed out at work, their first instinct is to sort of revert to, to a taker mentality. But here's the point. Listen to this. His research consistently shows that givers are among the most successful people in business. And he says, and by far the happiest. So you stingy turkey, you taker, go ahead and be unfriendly and step on people's fingers as they climb the ladder. And we'll see how happy you are. And you can go home at night and just be miserable, miserable, miserable. Are you listening to me? Is that the way you want to live? I bet you Jesus' kingdom has got a lot of givers. And that's what he's saying. It's not takers. It's not matchers. It's givers. I got a picture. Can you show that picture, fellas? This dear lady right here. She lives up in Minnesota. She was in her mid-40s. She's a nurse. She talks about her mama. She said, my mama was a giver. My mama was always taking people in, always helping folks, always doing for others. And she said, my mama told me the best job I could ever have is being a nurse because that's what you get to do eight hours a day. And so she said, I became a nurse. She had brothers and sisters that had children. She was their aunt. She was never married. She never had children. And she always wondered, you know, man, did I miss out? She said she checked into Invertil Fertilization, I think that's the way you say it. And she said it cost so much, and then she was afraid if she had a baby, she wouldn't be able to care for it the way she wanted to. So she decided to be the best aunt in the history of the world. So she took care of her, her nephews and her nieces. She said one day at the hospital, she met this little girl. Isn't she a beauty? 
She was born two months premature. She weighed two pounds. Her mother took heroin and cocaine during the pregnancy. She said that this little girl she began to care for, she was, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, she was stunted in her development. She said they kept her in the hospital for nine months before she got old enough to do anything, before she kind of caught up developmentally. I can't even talk anymore. But she said this little gal, in that whole time, she never had one visitor, one visitor. Nobody came to see her, ever. She said she began to check on, you think it'd be possible for me to be a foster mom? She began to do the paperwork. And it wasn't long until she actually became the foster mom to this beautiful little girl. And then the day came when the judge revoked the parenting rights of the mother and the father who were addicts. And he said they were unfit. The judge said, you can adopt her. So at age 45, She adopted that little girl. And by the way, that's a giver. In God's kingdom, that's what he wants. No matchers, no takers, givers. Can I sit on your throne on the right and the left? Jesus said, it ain't so in my kingdom. Because if you want to be a leader... Leaders serve. There's somebody going, I told you it's a paradox. I want to ask you one question. Does she look happy? Could it be that we're so stinking miserable because we got taken down and matching down, but we have no idea what giving is. Boy, I hope you're getting my sermon today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you this morning.